Um, I want to uh, read to you a passage that, that we're um, going to just kind of look at. We're going to be talking today uh, about joy. And uh, there's, Luke 2 is a very famous passage, a very familiar passage. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those upon whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, we think about this concept of joy, and it makes me think about, I can remember uh, years ago when my kids were little, and we would decorate our Christmas tree. And if you've had little kids, you kind of know how that works. If you look at the, I call it the Goldilocks zone. If you look at the Christmas tree, at the bottom, there's a few. And then in one stripe about this long, there's just a gazillion. And then there's a few less. And once you get more than halfway up the tree, there's no. When you let your kids, and, and you say, well, why is there so few at the very bottom? Here's why. This happens when you have multiple kids. Whoever the youngest one is that can only reach the bottom level of the tree usually knocks three or four off in placing the one that they want to place because they're just so clumsy. And so you get a tree that has this stripe of, of, uh, of, of all these ornaments, you know, ornaments that are homemade, ornaments that they've made at school, you know, that you go, oh, that is so, what the heck is that? I don't even know. And, you know, they say, it's an angel. Oh, it's an angel. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I had kids that, we're not as artistic as others, maybe that's the thing. But one time we were doing that, and we would listen to Christmas music, you know, and sometimes we'd have hot chocolate, and it would just be a fun time with the whole family. And uh, we were doing that one time, I remember years and years ago, and all of a sudden a song came on, it just kind of caught me for a second. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And I remember looking and just saying, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment with my kids. Thank you that we can do this, but thank you that Jesus came. This is the whole point of it all. In a world that is ravaged by pain and suffering, there is an answer. It's a gift that God brings. It's great joy. It's not a cheap joy. Man, it's not a cheap joy that, igno that ignores darkness or pain or suffering or injustice. It is a joy that acknowledges that Christ has entered into the world, and therefore he has entered into our suffering. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we all want joy. So let's investigate this a little bit. What is biblical joy? And let me say this, there's a number of words in Hebrew that are translated joy. Same thing in the New Testament, in the Greek, there are multiple words that are translated joy. And, and so you can't have one, I mean, we have one English word, joy. That's what we got, that's all we got. 
You know, it's, it's, it's kind of lame, but that's all we have. They have multiple. Why is that? Because they see different facets of joy and they give appropriate names to those different facets. Each one gives us a little idea of, of, of how joy is different in different ways. And so they each emphasize these aspects. So I want to look at this. I want you to see first, we were made for joy. We were made for joy. You know, if you start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, right? This happened to me last week. What is it with that movie, Sound of Music? It's just kind of, first you begin with do, re, mi, right? Okay, I, I don't know, this is me, I'm sorry. We go back to Genesis, here we are. We go back to Genesis and we see this, we see that joy is built into the foundation of the world. God looked at his creation, it was good. It was full of, the, he had this joy for what he'd done for his creation. It brought him joy. He creates human beings in his image, and it says he blesses them. So the creator is taking great delight, great joy in his creation, and he's passing this on to human beings. He blesses them. His first command is to be fruitful and multiply. And you realize, of course, this is not go out in the garden and grow vegetables, and this is not about memorizing your multiplication, your multiplication tables, right? It's not that. Fruitful and multiply is part of God bringing joy into this world. He invites them to delight themselves. He invites them to enjoy, to eat. I have given you all of this for you, for you to take care of. We were created for joy. Pleasure was God's idea. God decided that you would have taste buds and nerve endings. He decided that for you. He didn't have to make it that food could be so enjoyable. He could have made it all oatmeal, right? I, I, I told you guys for a bit, when I had COVID a few months ago, a couple months ago, I lost my taste. I mean, I only lost my taste for like a week or a week and a half. And that was H-E double hockey sticks. I'm telling you, that was terrible. It was terrible. I, I, I would look at things, you know, and I would, I would remember what that tastes like I couldn't help it. And I go, oh, I got to have a bite of that. And then it was mush. And I can remember, and I feel we have some people in our congregation that have, have no sense of taste. And my heart, I just, I don't know how that, I don't know how I could handle it. Because I can remember thinking when I'd lost my taste, we didn't have to have this be so good. It could have been bland. And it would have still fueled our bodies just the same. But God, but God, in his joy over his creation, gave us taste buds. He gave, you know, that type of a thing. He, it all began with joy. And we see all through scripture. I mean, we could run through this over and over and over, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, this concept of joy that God has for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's just over and over and over these types of things. God is a God of joy. And this is what's important about that. He is for your joy. He is for your joy. Psalm 4, 7 says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now, this is in an Old Testament. This is an agrarian setting, right? So grain and wine was a symbol of flourishing, symbol of success. So you could say, you could say this, if we decided, you know, in, in RMV, the reversed Mosley version of, uh, of Psalm 4, verse 7, you have given, put more joy in my heart 
than when they get the job. More joy in my heart than when they get the attention. More joy in my heart when they get, than when they get the likes, when they get the recognition, when they get the swipe right, when they get the pay raise, when they get the clicks. You've put more joy in my heart than when they flourish. This is what God says, I, I have joy for you. We were made for this joy. Now, in the Old Testament, joy and happiness are very closely related. In our day, happiness has become something a little more distant from joy. Uh, happiness is basically feeling good based on your circumstances. When the Washington Commanders win, I am happy. I've not been happy a lot for 25 years. When the new book that I've ordered shows up on my doorstep, I'm happy. When I get a good cup of coffee, I'm happy. But see, these are, these are feelings based on circumstance. They come and go. They come and go. But joy, joy is being aware of God's presence and promises when responding to the circumstances of, a life, of life. Being aware of God's presence and promises when responding to the circumstances of life. You see, that's why joy is not some cheap form of happiness. Because circumstances can just make our happiness get twisted and turned all the time. But joy can coexist with feelings. Joy can co coexist with other emotions like sadness or disappointment or frustration or happiness. See, this is where we've gotten this. We've kind of put our version of happiness and filled it into the word joy. And God says, no, that's not what joy is. Joy is something deeper, something more solid. And this is key for us because we think we lack joy because of some perceived lack in our lives. You know, if I had this, I would be happy or more joyful, right? Now, we know not to say that, right? We know not to go to people and say, if I had a new car, oh, dude, I'd be so happy. I'd be so joyful. I'd just be praising God all over the place. Maybe, maybe you would if you had a new car. But here's the thing. We know enough to not say, if I just had that, if I just had that. Everybody's quick to say, money can't buy you happiness. You know, money can't buy you whatever. But deep inside, deep inside, we still kind of believe it. We have this interesting thing. I don't know if this happens to you. We, we get magazines sometimes. We've been getting for years now, Architectural Digest. I, it comes in the name of my daughter who doesn't live with us. It, just, it comes to Reagan Mosley at our house. And we get Architectural. And I said, what, the, what is this? And then I looked and I realized Architectural Digest is really not so much for architects as it is to sell stuff because all the articles are about how homes have been made incredibly beautiful. And of course, they're incredible homes that when they show you the before, here's what it looked like before. And you go, that's good. I'll take it, right? And then they show afterwards and it's just this incredible, beautiful, sometimes kind of weird looking, different things like that. And I realized I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, yeah, man, that was my living room. Well, it's bigger than my house. So that'd be a good start right there. You know, it, what can happen? I start looking at my house and I go, man, if only. And now here's, here we go. Because what am I saying subtly? If I had that, I would be good. Life would be good. 
See, we say to ourselves in a very subtle way, I don't have enough money. Sometimes in a not subtle way, we say that I, I, I don't have the job I want. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a spouse. I wish I had a better house. I wish I had a nicer car and on and on. But we will always have things we lack. We will always have that. Joy is beyond that. So first thing I want you to see, you, we were made for joy. Second thing, joy is something we work on. Now, just like Phil mentioned, it's not something we produce, right? But actually joy, because joy is ultimately a byproduct of certain things happening in our lives. We can't create joy, but joy is cultivated. Like a gardener, we can make things, make things so that uh, a plant has its best chance to flourish. We don't make it grow. But we can help. We can do the things that cultivate that. And that's very important. But here's something you can do with joy. You can kill it. You can kill it. Start comparing yourself to others. Man, a long time ago, I memorized comparison is the robber of joy. And that doesn't even make great sense English-wise. But it, comparison robs you of joy. It robs you of joy. You compare yourself with other people and you go, look what they have. I wish I had. And that leads you down a path. Or maybe you compare yourself with someone who you feel is below you and say, look how much more I got than that person. And you become this elitist. And you think, look what I've done. Look what I've done. So you can kill joy by comparing yourself to others. And I mean, you know, here I go. It's the old guy talking about social media, these kids nowadays. But what are you doing? You're comparing other people's highlight reels to your seemingly boring, normal life. That's what's going on in those situations. And it can just rob you of joy. Compare yourself to others. Another thing is isolate yourself from friends in difficult times. What happens so many times with people? They get into difficult situations and they tend to pull back. And that's the exact opposite thing to do in a difficult situation. What else will rob you of joy? Be a taker. Be a taker. Only think of you. Selfishness pushes joy out of the picture. It pushes joy out of the picture. When you're in a relationship for, with someone where you have two people, I mean, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, two people who are trying to outserve each other. You're in a situation where joy and love will flourish and abound because you get great joy in looking towards others, in serving others. Happiness can be very sporadic, and sometimes there's spectacular moments. It can be great, but joy grows over time. It comes through maturity. And maturity is this, this, maturity is this sense of where we can delay gratification for something more significant. There's a famous experiment. You can look it up. It's called the, it, it had a fancy name, but basically it became the marshmallow experiment. Stanford University, they did it a number of times and it's grown. Basically, they bring a small, a kid into a room and there's one marshmallow and they tell them, if you can wait 15 minutes before eating it, we'll give you two instead of one. And you can look it up because the, the videos are hilarious. If you've ever seen little kids have to sit in front of a marshmallow alone and wait 15 minutes, which is an eternity in little kid time, and they're just like, 
they're touching it and squeezing it, and they want them to take a little nibble out of it and turn it upside down so maybe they don't see the nibble, you know. And, and one little girl, she just went, <gasps> she's trying to bring it out. Like, oh, what have I done? It's, it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. And what it was, was it was, a, it was an exercise in delaying gratification. Can they wait 15 minutes? And you know what? After what? It's child abuse. Those kids are just, it's, it's, they're just, just going crazy. And you would see, see one, one little girl, her hand would reach, and she'd grab her hand, and she'd hit it. Like, you know, I can't control my, it's just hilarious. But here was the thing. It was this idea, can they delay gratification? And they found this, that some that could often tested better in other areas and did well in other areas because they'd mad. It doesn't mean their life is over. Okay, parents of small children, don't do this to your kid. Don't do this. They eat the, they eat the one, and you go, my kid's a failure. Life is over, right? No, don't do that because kids can change. But it, it was amazing. They could see this whole idea of what is, what is maturity? Maturity is being willing to delay gratification for something better, something better. And God is for your joy. But sometimes he says to wait. He says, wait, because I got something better. I'm for you. Trust me on this. Delay gratification because there's something greater. Now, those, little, those little children, it was only 15 minutes, but it was an eternity to them. You know, and I, I, in watching it, I saw myself in some of those kids as I've at times had to wait and not known what to do and not known what God is doing. When... Um, when I left my former church before coming here, um, God said, wait. He said, wait. And uh, um, they, they, and I, they, listen, that I, how can, I, I don't want to say this. There's no malice. There's absolutely no malice. They voted not to have me be their pastor, but they asked me to be the interim pastor there while they were looking for a pastor. So, and you know what? There wasn't, I, it worked. It worked. I waited a year. A year. And I can remember praying, God, please. I said, my kids, you know, we're in this limbo. I'm in the, I said, God, we'll go anywhere. I have two brothers that are missionaries. I said, God, we'll go. We'll go anywhere. We'll go. But just give me a glimmer. Tell me something. And I passed by First Church Ministries. And um, I'd had a little argument with somebody there not that long before, a few years before. Um, not a great moment in my life. And so as I passed by First Church Ministries on the old building on, Jeff on Jefferson Avenue, I said, well, I know one place that will never call me in a million years. This is the truth. The next day, Jason Kilgore called me in my office and said, we're looking for a new pastor. Would you be willing to interview and speak at our church? And I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> and after I hung up, I said, you're laughing at me, God, right now. You are laughing at me because I just said that. I just said that. I feel like Jesus is like, Peter, watch this. He's such a dope. <laughs> watch what I'm gonna do, right? I waited a year, and God brought me to the best place I've ever been in my life. I love this place. I love this. Oh, 
I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, I go on vacation and I miss you. Vacations are great, but man, you guys, I love this. I, I never thought it could be. So I, it, the wait was more than worth it. It was more than worth it. A year of indecision, a year of worry, and a year of not knowing what God was doing. And the whole time he says, I got this. If you would just trust me, this wouldn't be so strenuous for you. So God is for our joy, but sometimes he says to wait. Because real life is not about marshmallows, right? God commands us to behave in certain ways because he knows that greater good can come out of it. God says no to cutting corners at school or at work because then you will experience greater integrity throughout your life. God teaches us not to be stingy even when we're poor so that we can experience greater generosity when we have more. As God blesses you, you should give more to reflect that because it, he's training us in that. So how do we cultivate joy? And this isn't one of those easy one, two, three things, but it, it, we know just from scripture, it's over and over and over. Focus on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Joy is a byproduct. You don't get it from chasing joy. Jesus told us that. He said, if you chase after life, you'll never get it. But if you chase after me, you'll get life like you never imagined. It comes from focusing on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Build relationships. Joy is best experienced in community. You know, in the book of Philemon, Paul tells him, he says, your love for others gives me great joy. That's what gives me joy, what you're doing. Give to others. I mean, this is what the whole 12 days, the Advent season, this is what we've been doing this whole time here. Giving, focusing on giving to others. And it's amazing. I, you guys, it's amazing what you've done. Um, Angel Tree through, gave us 52 names of children whose parents are incarcerated and they were gone in like the first week. And then um, Peninsula Rescue Mission told us we're, we're, we're not getting the response that we normally get. We usually try to help a bunch of families with presents. Could you guys help us out? We're like, yeah, sure. We sent them over 100 items that you guys collected to give as presents to people who weren't getting presents. You know, it, it just over and over and over. We're our port ministry. We're going to minister to the homeless. Um, the sign-up sheets are there. We're close to full, but I mean, if you want to, man, just come and be a part of it. it it's, it'd be an awesome thing, thing to do. It's just over and over and over all this stuff that's, that's going on. Letters to missionaries and, and to veterans. Um, um, stuff for the sheriff's department. Just all, so many things, so many things that, that you're doing. And people ask me, what are all the things they're doing? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. There's so much going on, I can't keep up. Ask Jose, he knows, he knows it all. So. But Paul talks about this, he tells them, you know, he, see, he tells them, look, you can have joy in sorrow. You can have joy in trials. James talks about joy in struggles, why? Because we realize we're gonna grow from it. And what happens? I mean, I've had so many times where I've talked to people in difficult issues, and I've told them, this is what I envision. 10 years from now, you're gonna meet somebody that's going, you won't believe what just happened to me. And they'll tell you, and you go, it happened to me. Let me tell you how God got me through it. God will redeem it. God will redeem it. Joy is being aware of God's presence and promises when responding to the circumstances of life. What we put up just a minute ago. It's being aware, being aware. Something is deep and settled. God does not delight in suffering, but he can use it. He can turn it into good to people all around us. 
Scripture is full, full of people who are waiting and God has something for them. So we were made for joy. Joy is something we work on. And then Jesus is the center of the joy. I mean, this is not news to anybody here. Jesus is the center of joy. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This joy offers us and desires for us is in Christ. He came in flesh, the God-man, fully God, so that he was able to save us from our sins, but fully man, so that he was able to die in our place. The theological word for this is incarnation. And this is how you can remember it. The Spanish word for meat is carne. So if you think of that incarnation, Jesus came in the meat. He came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. So now when you go to a restaurant and you see carne asada, you'll think of Jesus. Now I know, I know you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Bob, that's really dumb. I know it is. I know it is. It's not even remotely funny. Well, maybe a little. No, not even remotely funny. Okay. But, okay, go to a Mexican restaurant this week. And when you look at the menu and you see carne, tell me you don't think of Jesus. You're welcome. You're welcome. There you go. It's going to be, it's going to be, I've put it, cursed you with it. In, in grad school, I took a class that analyzed advertising and they were saying some advertisements are purposely dumb and cringy because you remember it. You're welcome. Okay. So I got an A in that class. You can tell, right? So Jesus came. He came. He came as a helpless baby in the flesh. And the manger, the manger is like, is like a signpost pointing to the cross. He lived the perfect life. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. This is good news of great joy. This is great joy. All our, all, all our desires, all our longings, they are not fulfilled in an idea. They're not fulfilled in a religion. They're not fulfilled in some ethical system. No, the incarnation means all our desires and all our longings are filled in a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is our joy. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our love. He's our victory. He's our purpose. He's our satisfaction. He's our glory. Jesus is our joy. You know, I mentioned last week we were in a culture that celebrates Christmas, but ignores the power that it represents. Everyone wants to have you know, hope and faith and love and peace and joy in their lives. As if talking about these things and, and watching movies about these things and singing songs about these things make them happen. But without the source, there is no power. When my kids were little, I would, I would sometimes watch, we'd watch a Christmas movie together. And sometimes, oh, my poor kids. Sometimes I'd stop it. I'd say, hold on. <laughs> what did that guy just say? What's wrong with what that guy just said? Because that's not true, is it? And they'd all be like, yes, dad, it's not true. Press play. Please press, please, please, please press play. Right? My kids had it tough, yeah. <laughs> My son, Derek, took a poll of his classmates in middle school, and he came home and proudly announced to us that we were the strictest parents in the whole school. And I said, yes. 
Mission accomplished. So, so we watched it. I saw one. It wasn't that long ago, I don't think. The movie, and it ends with the kid saying, I believe in you, Santa. And Santa says, no, no, no. I want you to believe in yourself. If my joy depends on me believing in myself, I'm a goner. Because I know me. And this is not happening. I can't do it. And this is the message that our culture kind of has. It, 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 for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, for those who are looking for meaning, it's saying, just have faith. In what? It doesn't matter what. Just have faith. Now, I, I still like, I mean, I'm not on the, this isn't a culture war thing. I'm not jumping on the culture war crusade. I just know this. The truth is to look at Jesus. The Bible will always be at ads, at ads, at odds with any culture anywhere in the world. The Bible will always call culture to account anywhere in the world because culture, cultures always say we are the answer, but we are not. We're part of the problem. It's not believe in yourself. It's not be true to yourself. Jesus says deny yourself. We talk all the time about look to Jesus. I mean, we're going to look at, as we continue with the book of Hebrews, it's just going to keep coming up and up and up all the time. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. It's so easy for us to, to say that, and it just kind of slips by. It means nothing to us. It's so simple, but here's the thing. It's the truth. Trust in Christ. Cling to Christ. Wait for Christ. Hope for Christ. Believe in Christ. Don't settle for counterfeit joys. Don't settle for temporary thrills. Temporary thrills are great. There's no problem with them. You know, I've, I've, I've experienced certain things in my life that were just the most thrilling moments of my life. I, I, I skied one of the uh, steepest slopes in North America, and it was thrilling and scary, and I wet my pants, and it just was a whole, you know, but I did it, and I was so excited. And they said, let's do it again. I said, nope. <laughs> I did it once. I survived. I'm done. But it was heart-stopping craziness in my life. And it was great for a little bit. And then it wore off, right? Counterfeit joys, temporary thrills. And so this Christmas season, I challenge you to do something. Think about this. In Psalm 51, as David admits his sin, and, and deals with it, repents. He says, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And if you're in this season, like so many people can be, and things can be a little, uh, at times, and you're not always, you just, it's like I don't feel close to Christ at this time. I feel like I'm just so busy doing everything. Take a moment and say, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Start thinking about that. Look to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He has a joy. He has a bedrock foundation that endures the most difficult of times. And he has it for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. In Psalm 119, you're, you say your word brings us joy. So Father, as we look at it this morning, but even as the, in this week, as we look at it in our own personal lives, Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Remind us of the love you have for us, of the price you paid for us because of your great love. And we will give you the glory and the honor. 
Thank you, God, for opportunities to serve others and to live our lives in a way that reflects you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.